0: Thina, what is wrong with you? Another kid case? Seriously? I thought you said you hated kid cases, yet here we are again. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. I guess let's all prepare the boxes of Kleenex again for another case. My whole life, even as a child, all I really thought about, I used to carry dolls around on a pillow, and I wanted to be a mom. What Um, Diane Downs wanted more than anything else was to have children. She got her wish, but her dream turned into a twisted tragedy when she was sentenced to life.
1: Hey, guys. Welcome back to Griffith Soup. I'm Athena. And I'm Kylie. And we're doing a kid case. I'm so Uh, sorry. Again. Yep. See, like, I don't intend for this. And then I start and I plan out what my case is going to be. And then I'm like, oh, shit, that's all kid cases in a row. I literally hate my two least favorites. Not that I have favorites, but my least favorites are cold cases and kid cases because they just hurt every fiber of your being. And I have somehow done like six back to back kid cases. But this one is a little
0: bit less.
1: Yeah. A little less.
0: Okay. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> i've only told kylie some things about the case guys she doesn't yeah, know a ton. i know absolutely nothing that's the whole that's the whole premise of cryptic soup okay you, you should know this by now
1: and this is a very very famous case most people know this one so we'll give our spin on it it is also uh i mean this is the blueprint for casey anthony right this is casey anthony's idol in life so that doesn't give you a disclaimer i guess let's do, do we got do we got any news we got news we got anything to say no okay do you No. when is this episode airing I don't know. it's it's <laughs> some it's in the month of october we're like kind of recording early it's a confusing time for us
0: yeah so i'm uh, what's already happened what hasn't? right now we
1: have done. Michael Taylor was our last episode that you guys have heard. If you listened, you should have listened. Otherwise, what are you doing here? Go back.
0: That one it's was wild. Archives. It was like, you thought it was a a religious cult, and then you thought it, it wasn't. You it was thought also, it was an exorcism. And then nope, just kidding. There's a murder. It was also wild because Kylie heard it 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> and that's um, the only way that I remember things. So,
1: so that was you guys on the eleventh of October. Right now, we're on the eighteenth of October. So we're almost we're almost done with the month. Right now, we only have one more. You would think of 18th the
0: eighteenth of October. That's the
1: third week. That's two weeks from now.
0: So you should definitely follow the Instagram because there's going to be spooky things coming I, along your way. You might have seen them already, or maybe you didn't. That's part of the spook. You don't know. Ooh,
1: when's it coming? Ooh, when's it's, coming? it's just going <laughs> to surprise you in the month of October. <laughs> October. <laughs> so uh, that's about it. Let's jump into today's case. Kylie, do you like Duran Duran?
0: Hmm. I, uh, I don't have. I have. I like no. the song Rio by them. Yeah, I like Rio. Rio okay. Do you do you like song Hungry Like the Wolf? No.
1: Before this case, you don't like the song Hungry Like the Wolf? Or because of this case, you don't like the song Hungry Like I don't
0: know the case. So okay. before in general, right. I do not like it. You're
1: going to hate it more now. Every time I hear that song, I say, fuck you, Diane Downs. <laughs> yeah, she ruins it for you.
0: I'm trying to think of what I think of. I think of. Glee. No, is oh. it Big Fat Liar? I don't
1: know. The
0: guy's blue and he yeah, goes with the pool. Yeah. Okay. Hungry Like the Wolf. Yeah. No, I hate that song. Hmm,
1: I didn't think about that during it. I just think of Diane Downs. That and like uh, Ray of Hope by Madonna. That was ruined for me by Fuckface McGee uh, with the teeth. Richard Ramirez. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why. That's what we should have called him, not Fox the Ace Night McGee. <laughs> All
0: right. Tonight's episode. Let's do it. Just keep in mind that this is the second episode we've recorded tonight, so this one's going to get a little bit weirder. Yeah. It. Oh, it.
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> <still>. <laughs> we just got done recording Michael Taylor Ossett. Uh, like the Osset Taylor murder, the case. I can't even talk about it, clearly. (laughs) Um, And we're back to back recording. That's not normal for us. And we get loopy when we do it. We've only done it one other time and it didn't end well because we got really loopy during the second episode. Luckily, it was cryptid. We don't have that pleasure tonight. We're doing a very intense case for our number two case. That's about murdering children. So let us have our small moments of happiness when we have them because they won't happen a lot in this case. All right. Elizabeth Diane Frederickson. <laughs> it's just such a really important name. Sound Frederickson. Elizabeth Diane Frederickson was born August seventh, nineteen fifty-five. Oh my gosh, same year as my mom. Um, she is a Leo. She's born on the same day as Charlize Theron, and I love that's her. National Lighthouse Day. And okay, Kylie, since you love Charlize Theron, Charlize Theron won an Academy Award for portraying a murderer slash serial killer in a movie. And what? serial killer did she portray no fucking no no guesses I probably haven't even seen it female serial killer
0: very famous one a prostitute if you will no guesses Eileen Warnos. oh yeah I never would have gotten that Hmm, Okay,
1: it's a really good movie it is um yeah it's worth watching
0: okay I just love her in Snow White oh okay I like her in the Italian job oh well yes (laughs) <laughs> I kind of like okay. her in general, but okay, we're moving on. We're moving on. We can't. Elizabeth
1: okay. was so sh- her name's Elizabeth Fredrickson. She goes by Elizabeth when she's younger. I will flip to Diane when she starts going by Diane. So for right now, we're going to continue calling her Elizabeth. Elizabeth was born in Phoenix, Arizona, to her parents Wesley Lyndon and Wallet- Wall Willadine Engel. <laughs> You've been playing a lot of Dreamlight Valley there, buddy. <laughs> Maybe. But I also love Wally <laughs> um, to Wesley and Willa Dean. Those are some cool names, I think. Honestly, her mother was a stay at home mom and her father was a U.S. Postal Master. Her father was strict, like the more strict one of the two parents, and he would actually give lectures to discipline the children. So it was kind of like almost too strict, but at least not like abusive strict, but That can be seen as a type of abuse depending on how it goes about. So, you know, like, I'm not going to say he was great or bad. We find out more in a minute. Uh, Elizabeth was the oldest of the four children. According to her, by when she starts going by Diane, she was actually molested by her father. Uh, Wesley started doing that to her at age 12. Some people believe if this is true, it could have affected how Diane dealt with early development and her dating choice of men because she liked dating older men. None of the other kids said that they ever had these issues and stuff. So it is a little like speculatory. People aren't quite sure because also Diane will do anything for attention and lies. So it could have happened. It could have not happened. I'm not belittling the fact at all. I just genuinely don't know. And it's a speculatory event. However, she did date older men as a freshman.
0: Freshman. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> it's, everything's going to be more... Funny. right? Oh,
1: I know. (laughs) As a freshman at Moon Valley High School, Diane dressed like an as as an adult and would often try to date older men. But uh, there were never any charges about the whole like parents thing. So no one was really sure if it was really happening or not. Both her parents deny it and no one knew if it was true or not. But they think that that's why she did those things. Outwardly, Diane seemed to have a normal childhood around 14 years old. She became more rebellious. That's when she started going by Diane. So around that like 12 to 14 year age. And she stopped going by Elizabeth. In high school at 14 years old, sorry, at in high school at 15 years old, I meant. She met a man named Stephen Downs who went by Steve. The two of them became inseparable. They were both high school juniors. They lived on the same street and they looked like they were in game. However, Not very long afterwards, once they graduated, they actually broke up at 17 years old. Diane enrolled in Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in Orange County, California. And Steve enlisted in the U.S. Navy. Diane's family was really happy because when they broke up, they were super honest about it. They actually hated Steve. And they were actually pretty upfront about it the whole time that they were dating. Oh, I was going to say plot twist. We hated him anyway. (laughs) But they were like, fuck, yeah, he's gone. No more Steve. Just kidding. Not just kidding that. Just kidding to the no more Steve. Right. If if you know, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Diane ended up being expelled after two semesters of promiscuous behavior is what they always say. Mm -hmm. Diane ended up returning to her parents' home and then Steve came home and the couple reunited in Arizona and quickly they got married on November 13th,
0: 1973. Leave it to the U.S. Navy to get people (laughs) murdered real, real quick. Real fast. (laughs) Speaking from some experience there, yeah, Maybe. <laughs> Slightly.
1: When Diane was only 18 years old, they got married. Two weeks after the wedding, Diane said the relationship was already not what she wanted, and she realized that. She said Steve only wanted her for sex, and it's like she went straight from her dad, who was using her for sex, to Steve, who was using her for sex, and she just kind of felt like everyone's little, like, physical plaything. The relationship was riddled with a lot of issues and problems. They would always often argue about financial issues and infidelities because Steve always accuse Diane of cheating. Diane would often leave and stay with her parents because of their constant fighting and she would just dip out for like periods at a time. Diane started to realize their relationship was not as loving as she hoped and she really wanted someone to love her as much as she thinks she deserved to be loved or as much as she loved herself. You'll notice that Diane's a severe narcissist and she starts exhibiting these narcissistic behaviors but it gets worse and worse over time but this was definitely when it starts kind of like being mentioned is when she starts talking about how badly she wants to be loved because she thinks she not saying that no one deserves to be loved but the way she thinks she deserves to be loved and like how she wants to go about it so in her mind she needed validated with that love and the only thing that would love her as much as she loved it and validate her constant need for love would be a
0: child false
1: dogs (laughs) hello Well, Steve was not on board with the idea of having a child, especially due to their financial instability. Diane decided to completely ignore Steve's concerns and throw away her birth control and proceed with her idea of getting
0: pregnant without telling Steve. Sounds like a great idea. Already going uphill. Can't see anything wrong with this. Yeah, there's no issues whatsoever. On
1: October 7th, 1974, their first child was born. Christy Ann Downs. Diane claimed after this, Steve had actually became physically abusive towards her and Diane was no longer working. So they were having even more money issues. So they were just constantly fighting. Supposedly Steve was like beating Diane and they now have a new baby and they have even more issues. Sounds great. During 1975. So about a year after Christie would be born, not quite Diane and Steve were off and on and she would often leave him and take Christie and she would stay at her parents' house. But eventually, every single time she would forgive Steve, Steve would tell her he loves her and she would come home. Steve is the most in love with another human being, being in love with Diane that any human has ever been in love with another human. And you will see that time and time again. He would let Diane. He he. he... Like if. Travis Alexander was Steve jody Arias would have been so happy like that is the only way i can describe like the amount of love that could have been in a relationship like to put it into perspective so that you would mm-hmm. understand it she, he was devoted entirely to diane and diane could give two fucks that steve exists <laughs> okay so they Had all these issues. Diane claims that Steve was literally like the worst, like the worst thing to ever happen to her. Everything was awful. He was physically and verbally abusive. I know I'm repeating that, but I just really want you to get that point across. Diane claimed that Christy was the only thing saving their relationship. Her and Christy were so happy. She loved Christy more than anything. Christy loved her more than anything. Steve existed. Diane and Christy were just just everything. And she said that their love was so strong that Steve couldn't come between that love. So to stay in this relationship and to stay happy, the only thing that would keep her happy and keep Steve off her back would be to have another kid. Right.
0: Sounds like the best idea ever.
1: It reminds me of Sylvia Likens where like Gertrude had no money. And so she's like, I'm going to take more kids in the house like that will solve my money issues. Right. And then it was like, no, that causes more issues.
0: Right. Do you remember that case? I do. Okay. That one's hard to forget. Yeah, That one really sticks with you. Well, and I love that movie. I can't think of what it's called at the moment. Why can't I think of it now? It's Brie Larson. I can't think of it now for the life of me. (laughs) Trapped. Home. Shed. Room?
1: Room. That's not the same. No, it's not the same. That's Yosef Fritzel.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. We're
1: talking about Sylvia Likens from
0: Indiana. I think I click, click, I clicked, I clicked those two people together. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. So you don't remember the case? No, I do. I remember certain okay. aspects of that case, but, but I you're put kind of them melting together them with, in the moment. Yeah, I see yes. what you did. Okay. That w- that got very confusing very fast. I'm sorry. sorry. No, it's okay.
1: <laughs> it's a long night. We'll blame it on that. Not that Kylie forgets the cases. Yes. She knows everything. We could yeah. quiz her and she would get 140%. Yeah. Can't wait till trivia night. <laughs> <laughs> on january 10th 1976 they had their second child it was cheryl lynn steve was super unfa- un- unhappy with the fact they had a second child because like he didn't even want one kid and now they have two like steve's pissed right and if you can't feed yourselves and now you can't feed one child why would you have a second steve is like what the fuck like he d- he doesn't understand diane's thought process here as right. none of us do actually He constantly was criticizing Diane for being an unattentive and absentee mother. A good thing to be upset about though. Right. Because Diane was extremely negligent of her children and she paid little to no attention to them ever. She often would just leave them with her parents or with Steve with no notice and her children were seen unkempt and appeared malnourished at like all times. The couple, and you have to think they're also like infants and like, Children. So they're both like under three years old. Mm -hmm. So that's not they can't take care of themselves. It's not like at least you could be like, go make yourself some dinner, you know. Like I granted there's not much to make in the house, but grab some bread or yeah. yeah. They can't do things. Yeah. The couple was having a lot of money issues, and Steve did not know that Diane was pregnant the second time until she had like sprung it on him actually. And Diane ended up having this child, and then she was miserable. The whole reason she wanted a second child was to make her happy. And then that backfired because Cheryl was colicky and she was extremely fussy because of it. Uh, All the time, Diane would say that Cheryl was a hassle, hard to deal with, and that she just wished she never had her, which doesn't instill a good feeling probably for Cheryl because even though it's a baby, the baby's going to tell that you hate it. And then it's, yeah, okay. It's not going to be good, especially a colicky baby. So after two children, Steve decides he's going to get a vasectomy. Go, Steve.
0: <laughs> however. Take control of that situation. However, you would think that's a good thing, right? All right. Mm-hmm.
1: So after a vasectomy, you're supposed to go back for a few days for a follow-up because they try to make sure that your sperm counts down to
0: make sure that it like actually took and stuff. Right. Steve decided he didn't need to go to that. So... Why, out of all of the things, would you think that that was the best idea when you were absolutely positively not in the best mindset to have more children? So Diane gets pregnant (laughs) after the vasectomy.
1: And after dealing with Cheryl being such a difficult and colic baby, Diane decided that she couldn't have another baby and her and Steve agreed to get an abortion. This ended up being a huge burden on Diane's mental health, though, afterwards, because she... She didn't just fixate on it, she became actually obsessed with it to the point where she ended up naming their unborn child Carrie and she would talk about it all the time and she would blame a lot of her losing Carrie on Steve. So for the next two years, Diane was so fixated and hurt on the loss of not having her baby. Steve decides he's going to go get a second vasectomy. Okay, he does go back this time, though. He was like, yeah, I would would
0: do great. Not going to make that mistake again.
1: And Diane then finally tells Steve, she's like, hey, uh, I'm not happy about the fact that I couldn't give life to Carrie. And remember, she's kind of blaming Steve for this. So she pretty much tells him you can either reverse your vasectomy or I will find someone to get me pregnant. But I will be having another child like there is no option here. So in 1978, Diane got pregnant again. Steve did not reserve reverse his vasectomy, by the way. You can see where this that's is going not
0: to... just like. Technically, they are reversible, but it is not just like, especially yeah, let's already... just go back in and unsnip. It's not how that works. Well, it's not hold on a minute, it.
1: Corey. I need your help right here. Can you put in the clip of uh, Michael Scott from the dinner <laughs> party? And then when you said you definitely didn't want to have kids who had to reverse back. Snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. I did. Okay. You have no idea the physical toll. The three vasectomies have our a person. So according to Michael Scott, it is that easy, actually. Thank hmm. you very much, Kylie. No. Okay. Just kidding. It is not easy. So Diane got pregnant by a 19-year-old coworker named Russ Phillips while she was working as an electrician. And actually, she was a great electrician. Everyone, like, rants about how she was an amazing electrician. Diane told Steve she was pregnant, and the dumb boy Steve is. He's like, okay, I will stay. All right. OK, so Diane tells Steve that she was sleeping around, but it was like it, it was no kidding. <laughs> it was research. That's what she tells him. It was research, research, purposes of research. That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. I was just researching how to get pregnant. And, and it worked first time. And actually, that did work first time. So I mentioned that she is a very fertile person because here's what happened. All these kids she's had so far, the first time she has sex, she ends up pregnant. She Whoa. knows her cycle that well that she needs one and done. She is good to go. All right. And that is like a thing with Diane. You don't fuck with Diane's cycle because she's got that shit on lock. So she slept with Russ Russ one time and ended up pregnant. On December 29th, 1979, Stephen Daniel Downs, who went by Danny, was born. Steve loved Danny, though. Like he truly did love Danny. He did not care that it wasn't his child. And he was like, wow, maybe I have like a shot here. I can become happier in this relationship and everything all because he wanted to be around Danny. Oh, so which sucks because that's the only one that actually wasn't his kid. Right. <laughs> like That's really sad. Yeah. So the couple was still fighting all the time. And then Diane decides she's going to return to work so that that will solve some of their issues. Right. Diane was working as a substitute mail carrier at the Arizona Post-o- Postal Office. Because um, you got to remember, like her dad was a postal master, so she can just hop around to these postal jobs easy. Mm-hmm. And she started hearing about this new thing being talked about. She was like watching a TV show, kind of like a Dr. Phil type show for back then. And they were talking about surrogate moms and that you could apply to them. And they're like available to apply for. And Diane at this point seemed to really love the idea of being pregnant more than actually like being a mom and having children. So she's like, this is my ideal life choice. Become a surrogate, which if she would have just done that with the first three kids. And if Diane would have just always been a surrogate, like that would have. I mean, she's crazy, so I guess that's not a solution, but it would have been a solution, I guess. I don't know. So she signed up to become a surrogate. But originally, when Diane applied to become a surrogate mother, she was denied because you have to go through a screening test, not only with yourself, but with your husband and your husband has to because they have to see the dynamic of your marriage and everything because they want to make sure that everything about this is healthy, right? And all the psychiatrists said that she had mental illness that didn't bode well for the process, including they all said she kind of seemed like narcissistic. Right. And she also lied about having an abortion. She lied about having any mental illness and she fabricated everything on like all of her documentations. She also lied and said they had a wonderful and happy marriage. And a big fear the psychiatrist had was with her erratic behavior and narcissistic behavior, they were afraid that once the baby would be born, she would not give it up and actually try to keep it herself. I can see that, which I, that's the exact opposite of what happens, though, actually. So kind of like that's the only thing they were wrong about. But still, The doctor noted there was severe neurological power plays and issues within Diane and within her marriage. And they also made note about how she was able to turn her emotions on and off at an extreme rapid rate. Mm, Don't like that. But she kept applying and applying and eventually she was learning all the lies she had to say and trying. And she was giving the right answers and everything they wanted to hear. And so eventually she actually was accepted. So Diane went forward with the process. During this time, being a surrogate mother was not a common thing. Also, like just to put that out there, there were only about 100 reported surrogate mothers in the entire U.S. Due to this, she was interviewed actually for a national newspaper to spread awareness of how amazing being a surrogate mother and how amazing pregnancy and like having children are. And they like quoted her as being like an amazing mom and doing the right thing. OK, there's another um, true crime case. I actually talked about it uh, like two or three episodes ago. The Zach and Addie case where the same thing happened. They were caught in Hurricane Katrina and people were like, oh, my God, they're amazing humans. Look at the life they've created and they're helping all these people survive the hurricane and like making amends and doing all these things and like giving people a community to live in. And they went publicized for it and they were in like the New Yorker and they were the cover of the New Yorker, actually, and the New York Times. They were a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, he chopped her up and put her all over the house and then killed himself. And people were like, "Oh,
0: just kidding."
1: Okay, then. <laughs> so yeah, um, just your little uh fun fact of the day there. Um, so with that being the case, it being so uncommon and everything, you would be paid super well for being a surrogate. And you got to remember, this is also like not today's standards. So back then, this is barely 1980. She made $10,000 for being a surrogate mom. That's, That's a lot of money in the 1980s. So Diane was still an absentee mother to her own children during this time. And Steve finally had enough of it. She was still leaving the kids in the care of her parents, neighbors, or just anyone that would do it. She even went as far as to leave them under the supervision of each other. Which that sounds like not a big deal, right? Like my mom did that, but my siblings and I are nine years apart. So like, when I was five and my sibling watched over me, my sibling was in high school. They were like 15. Right. Practically. You know what I mean? Like, right. That's not that bad. Right. No. Um, she left them in charge and Christy would be in charge. Christy was six. Cheryl was five and Danny was less than two. What's a six year old going to fucking cook for dinner? Like right. that doesn't make sense. Right. And Steve was also aware Diane was still cheating. But he still loved her. So he just was like, this isn't it, though. Let's separate. So the couple divorced in 1980 and the split was not easy on anyone, especially Steve, because he also still really loved Diane and Will for pretty much ever. And Diane ended up being left with custody of the children, kind of. So what happened was Diane and Steve kind of came to like a conclusion. And the conclusion was that Steve essentially said, like, you have to buy me out of the relationship. And so Diane was allowed to keep the house and keep the kids, and Steve was gonna get paid $5,000 for it. Now, mm. Diane did not have $5,000. So, how is she gonna get it? Well, there's a man named Mac. All right, let's talk about that. Diane starts heavily pursuing her married coworkers as like her fun event to do in her side time now, you know, because technically she's single, so she's not doing anything wrong.
0: Okay, that's not how that works, but but all right.
1: Okay. So (laughs) Diane's really leaning in the role of pretending to have two lives. One is the life that she like neglects being a mother and she kind of avoids having kids at home and everything. And then her secondary life is her like fake life where she acts kidless and promiscuous and things like that. And that's her important life to her. Like I said, it's very Jody and very Casey. By 1981, Diane started dating a man named Mac from work who helped pay Steve. That's Mac. Okay. So he and his two daughters moved into Diane's house. So Mac and his two daughters do after he pays Steve $5,000 to leave the marriage. However, this only lasted for two months because Mac started seeing how Diane was in the second life because, you know, he had originally only saw saw her in the fun at work, kidless way. Mm -hmm. So then when he moved in, he saw how verbally abusive and negligent of the children she was to the point of Mac's children, too. She was verbally abusing them and stuff. Mac was extremely upset and he wanted to leave because Diane was exhibiting such toxic behavior that he was scared for his own children and he just felt like he needed to get out. Following this little breakup in September of 1981, I'm sorry, (laughs) in 1981, uh, Diane ended up going on a trip to Kentucky because she was going to get inseminated for the process of being a surrogate. It, It takes a while once she got accepted and that's when she had her time, right? So she got accepted finally after lying a million times. So she ends up going and she gets pregnant. On May 7th, 1982, she gave birth to a baby girl and she proceeded to take the money and go home. That was it. She didn't want to keep the baby like they all thought. She used half the money for a deposit on a mobile home for her and her children. And then she used the other half to actually pay Mac back for paying off Steve.
0: That's kind of nice. Okay. She did one good thing there. Making good life choices. Uh Mm-hmm.
1: So the only thing that had been a constant was Diane realized that she did like one thing in life, being pregnant or getting attention from men. Right. But she didn't want to be pregnant because she just got over being pregnant. Right. So she needs more attention from men. Now, in 1981, she had actually met another fellow coworker who she also was interested in. And I think this guy actually picks her up from that trip to Kentucky from the airport. So like she was kind of two timing everyone and stuff, but that's not unheard of for Diane. So. This man is Robert Nick Knickerbocker. okay, and he goes by Nick. Now, if you read the books and you watch some of the videos and stuff, especially the like Lifetime movie version of this, his name is actually Lou Lewison. Instead of Nick Knickerbocker. Okay, and it gets really confusing because some people think Lou Lewison's his real name and some people think Nick Knickerbocker's his real name and some people think neither of them are real. In the one version of the movie, she has Lou tattooed on her. And then in the other one, she has Nick. It gets very confusing. I think Nick Knickerbocker is the real name. I'm still a little confused because even podcasts kind of mess it up here and there. But I found more things saying Nick Knickerbocker. And in one of the um police things, she says Nick. So I would assume Nick Knickerbocker is the real name. So I'm going forward with Nick because she says Nick in a police transcript. OK. However, in one of the main books I used, they used the Lou Lewis which was confusing because it said it was a true account and everything else was true. It's just that what I'm okay. (laughs) And I wondered if it's because the time it was written, like he had a like a surname, you know, and then later people found out who he was or he spoke out. And so he's like, ah, fuck it. I'm Nick Knickerbocker. I don't really know because this was the 80s. Things have changed since then. Okay, moving on. Nick Knickerbocker. It's a fun name to say. (laughs) But he's a douchebag. (laughs) All right. Nick Knickerbocker, the married man. He was currently separated from his wife, Charlene, and he was employed by the postal system. Also, he actually worked the same place as Diane, just a different route. Diane knew. nope. Nick knew Nick knew that Diane had previously had short flings with some of the other coworkers. So in his mind, he's like, this isn't a big deal. She does this all the time. We can have this little sexual fling and it'll be fine. Right. Because like he's still working on things with Charlene, but he needs a little side action. That's where Diane comes in. However, Nick ends up feeling kind of guilty and he ends up telling his wife about the affair and he ends it. So Diane's super fucking upset about her and Nick and like they're like kind of breaking up type thing. And she has another appointment to go back down to Kentucky and get inseminated again. However, this time it doesn't work. Something goes wrong, which we all know that Diane and her cycle are like a one shot wonder here. So I'm wondering if the stress had something to do with it or anything, because that can affect your period. So. All right. When Diane returns home, Steve ends up picking up for her from the airport. Steve, the ex-husband, you know, Mm -hmm. love drunk Steve. Right. Now, Steve is like, I think we should talk about getting back together. Bro. (laughs) come on so steve wants to be with diane diane is fucking pissed dude because not only was she hoping that nick was gonna pick her up and she's like already let down when she sees steve and steve is a good looking man when you see photos of this family steve could have done better diane couldn't have done better than steve
0: but i think steve could have done better than diane interesting
1: so i'm like poor steve okay so not only is it just like offensive because Diane's pissed about that, but Diane's also just so fucking pissed that Steve would bring this up, because she she's with Nick. Why would Steve bring this up? So Diane is not happy with this plan of getting back together, and she's still so upset about Nick. Well, she goes back to the house with Steve, and then she ends up locking herself in the bathroom with a gun, and then shoots the gun. She 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 shoots it. He hears a gunshot. He's like, oh fucking shit! She's locked in the bathroom. I hear gunshot. So Steve, obviously upset, thinking she's trying to kill herself or that she shoots herself, because that's like your first train of thought here. Right. He breaks down the door into the bathroom and he finds Diane sitting on the floor with the gun pointed at him. And she just pretty much like looks at him and she's like, well, I can't shoot myself, but I could shoot you. Well, Steve. Shit. <laughs> Steve being in love um, is fine with this. <laughs> He's just like, no, don't do that. I love you. <laughs> no.
0: Please don't. Please don't. i love you. I want to be in the sequel.
1: (laughs) What movie is that from? I don't know. I'll tell you the whole quote. No, Mr. Ghostface, please.
0: I want to be in the sequel. Okay. It's by Tatum. Who said it? Or, I mean, ah. (laughs) (laughs) What movie is it from? Well, you said Ghostface. So, so. which one? There's only, you know, a bajillion screams to pick from. Okay. Well, I've never seen any of them. So, no idea. It's the first one. It's the girl that's dating Matthew Lillard.
1: Okay now by the way we have a bunch of scream episodes in the archives episode one and uh two and like three <laughs> a lot of them <laughs> yeah one two three because then four is Roland Doe huh. that holy shit Roland Doe sounds like money making moves do you see what I'm saying like Roland Doe yeah that's yeah okay money moves okay <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was so funny right there and Kylie <laughs> didn't think so and I got
0: really embarrassed. I wish anyone could see well, how you just my kind face. of like rolled it into, like you were just like rolling up. That's kind of how I tell jokes though. They just like, that's how I do everything. You just have to like I don't pause. You have to pay attention when Thina talks, when it's not on this podcast, because you're just like It's kind of like you wish that I was on Netflix so that you could have subtitles. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I am an excuse of why subtitles need to exist on humans. Yeah. 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 I think I think people would find me a lot more interesting and funny if they could understand. If I can
0: read what you're saying.
1: Yeah. I think that would help my me making friends. That's why I have more online (laughs) friends. Because I can I can type type way better than talk. Hmm. I'm not good at the whole talking thing. Interesting. Okay. I hold a way better combo on the internet in case anyone wants to hold a conversation with me. Don't try it in real life. You'll be let down. So she makes this vague. Well, it's not vague. She's just like, I could shoot you. But uh, she shot a hole in the floor instead. And that's what he noticed. That shot was a shot, a hole in the bathroom floor. Steve ends up getting the gun away from her and she starts acting crazy and starts like freaking the fuck out, like Michael Taylor style from the last episode. If you guys haven't heard it in the archives, Michael Taylor freaks the fuck out on this girl named Marie. And just fucking flings her across the room by her hair. Well, she kind of does the same thing. She starts like freaking out on herself and she's scratching and like tearing her skin on her face off if possible. And she's like bleeding and freaking him out because she's attacking. Herself.
0: Obviously.
1: Because that's not normal. It's a human little behavior. freaky. So Steve and Diane didn't get back together. Sad for Steve, he thinks. But it's it's a blessing. And in fact, Diane actually starts another relationship. Back up with Nick Knickerbocker. Just say Nick Knickerbocker. It's fun. Nick
0: Knickerbocker. <laughs> isn't it fun? <laughs> it's so good. Nick Knickerbocker. Nick Knickerbocker.
1: <laughs> All right. So at this point, Nick decides he needs to divorce Charlene. Not because he doesn't love her, but because um he's cheating on her so much and he's like, nah, shit, this isn't good. But Charlene pretty much is like, no, we'll work through it. It's fine. And he's like, OK, so I need to end things with Diane. And Diane's like, what is not with these people? <laughs> <laughs> we're in love also. So at this point, they should have just had like an orgy or like all been poly. <laughs> and maybe everyone would have been happy, but no. So Nick ends up getting a second apartment. Nick and Charlene were still on a break, but they're working on things. Nick would refuse to be around if Diane had her kids around. And that was like a point that he made very obvious. He showed all the time that he was not interested in her kids. Do you see where this is going, Kylie? Huh. Am I foreshadowing enough for you?
0: <laughs> Am I not turtle enough for the turtle
1: club? <laughs> turtle, turtle. <laughs> so Diane asked Nick one night who he loved more. She like went to his apartment and she's like, so who do you love more, me or Charlene? And he got really upset because first off, that's inappropriate. But second off, he realized how serious Diane thought this relationship was that he did not find that. And he realized maybe he just wants to go back to Charlene. So he told Diane that he loves Charlene more. Diane lost her fucking shit. I know, surprising. And so he's like, yeah, I'm going to bounce. And he goes to Charlene's house for the night. Well, Diane followed him there, of course, and ended up causing a huge scene. She was banging on the doors and the windows of the house. She was screaming outside the house. She was calling nonstop. She was harassing them, freaking out. Nick later gives this account to the police and Nick's wife does too. Charlene does like she was a witness to how crazy Diane is. And Nick also says she went as far as to start threatening Charlene's life. Um, I always try to relate things to a previous episode. And one of you guys have asked me why I don't do that, because they're like, if you know so much about true crime, why don't you name like more obscure cases or random things? It's because then Kylie would not ever get the point. So I can only name something she's already <laughs> heard so that she at least slightly like clicks the two memories together. So I'm going to do that again. This behavior she's exhibiting right now reminds me of Jodi Arias at the time when, like, remember, she did the flat tire gimmick Mm. and then she um, follows Travis home. And then she's like, you turned on the wrong exit. And Mm -hmm. he's like,
0: no, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't. I'm going to my
1: sneaky links. Although, actually, you're the sneaky link. I'm going to my girlfriend's house. By the end of 1981, Diane moved to Springfield, Oregon which is a little over a thousand miles away where they were living. So she's now a thousand miles away from Nick Knickerbocker. And she got a different job another time working for the postal service. And she was assigned the mail routes of the city of Cottage Grove, Oregon, thanks to her dad. Diane really had dreams and hopes that were just stupid. Pretty much she thought that when she would move, Nick would just Realize he's madly in love with her, and follow her there and settle down with her, and like be like, "I changed my mind about everything. You're the one
0: that actually makes me think of the other person the the blonde chick and the the Mormon. Name that case, no, I can't. That's Jody Arias and Travis Alexander oh. Kylie, <laughs> okay, no, but I'm thinking of when she moves. You should have said it afterwards. <laughs> I thought you were kidding in that moment. I was like, oh, she's going to say the case. Kylie, that's hilarious. You're embarrassing that would have been us. a lot more funny. <laughs> God damn it, Kylie. I'm sorry.
1: Can you name any of the states she moves to in that case? Nevada, Mesa, Arizona. Okay. Close. Very close. You had the right region. We'll give you that. Yeah, I knew it was over there somewhere. <laughs> you you're not good um so that didn't obviously happen nick may have slightly led diane on right because here's what happened before she moved a few weeks before she moved i don't know if like maybe her lease was up at one place and she had just signed to the new one or whatever but there was like a little moment where diane needed needed a friend to lend on and who who had that lending friending hand nick knickerbocker So he said that she and the kids could move into the apartment that he had with him while she was in the process of moving. So for a few weeks, her and Nick were living together right before she left. So uh, not Nick's Knickerbocker's best move.
0: I could see where the idea, you know, came from.
1: Nick Knickerbocker is one of those people I just got to say first and last name every time, kind of like Damon Vakovsky. (laughs) You just got to do them both. It's it's a thing. So Diane took this whole event of them like staying together, living together as a sign of them getting better and going to be together. But the fact of it really was is that he's just a dumb man and he did what dumb men do be dumb. Now, Nick Knickerbocker then gave Diane a gold chain before she left. Right. And there's two stories of what happened. There's the Diane story and the Nick Knickerbocker story. Her story is that Nick Knickerbocker gave her this chain as a sign of love. And he said, you're Nick's girl now. You're my girl now. And he told her pretty much that she had to wear it every day, forever, always, because it's a sign of their love and a sign of them being together. And it's a necklace he used to wear it every day. And now she has to wear it every day. And they are practically fucking soulmates. OK, that was Diane's version. Nick Knickerbocker said. Actually, I borrowed $500 from Diane and the gold chain was collateral. Slightly different stories.
0: Yeah, just a bit. (laughs) Like there's just a few differences.
1: Um, Diane then left and she realized uh, Nick Knickerbocker realized with Diane gone that he was actually a lot happier. And so he said he could focus on his wife again. Him and Charlene could like, you know, focus on each other and fix things because clearly Charlene didn't want to give up either. So Charlene and Nick work out. And they start working on things. So he calls Diane to break up. And one of the things she tells him is like, no, we're not breaking up. If you really want to be done with me so bad, then you have to pay me back that $500. So the next day he sends her a check for $500. And it really happens because on April 21st, Diane cashes a check for $500 from Nick Knickerbocker. On April 28th, Diane, honey, stop. (laughs) She flew all the way down to where Nick Knickerbocker lives, and she started stalking him on his mail route that he works to try to find him. And when she finds him, she's like, I just wanted to give you the necklace back. That's it. You know, just just want to give him the necklace back. And he was like, "Okay, that's fine. But we are not getting back together. We are never, ever getting back together. He Taylor Swift her. (laughs) I was about to sing it. Yes, I thought you would. (laughs) Um, he said that essentially he was just overwhelmed with the entire situation. And then he made this like really big, big little speech. He said so much without saying a ton. He said that when Diane's p- kids came into the picture she, and she can try, she continued, trying to make the like relationship serious with her kids there and everything. The children were the equivalent of too many strings attached. And Nick Knickerbocker told Diane he had no interest in being a daddy. Police will later ask if they ever talk after this. And he said that was the last conversation they ever had. Interesting. Diane realized in that sense of that moment that if she had children, she couldn't be with Nick and Nick didn't want to be with her and she wanted to be with Nick. So she obviously has to get rid of her children, right?
0: That is the only
1: logical solution to what is happening. Right. Nick, the married man that is back with his wife. That doesn't want you have a Steve. Just go home to your Steve, give Steve the children, <laughs> you have a Steve. why doesn't she just give the kids to Steve too, or maybe even her parents, but uh, okay, maybe not her parents because she thinks her like she thinks her dad's terrible, so I get that. she has siblings, maybe give your kids to your siblings. There's so many solutions here. You are a surrogate, you know people want children, just get you're a bad person. you're a bad person, Diane Downs, also really love the alliteration we got diane downs and nick knickerbocker and potentially lou lewison we sound like we're in a true crime book oh wait
0: (laughs) (laughs) wait a second (laughs) i didn't
1: mean to say that sentence so it took me by surprise that it came out of my mouth um (laughs) just so all of you know what i meant to say out loud my thought went faster than my head we sound like we're in a a nick from new girl book that's what I meant to say.
0: Does that, does
1: that make more sense? I mean, if you've seen New Girl, yes. And I can't think of Nick's last name, so I was going to call him a Nick Schmidt, but that doesn't make sense either. So no, nope. Nick Schmidt's roommate, Nick, like Nick, Nick from the show, Nick from New Girl Nick. I love that book. I'm having a mental breakdown right you, now, so I'm going to move this. on. You've got this. <laughs> Clearly, you guys can tell we've recorded too much. Oh, my <laughs> fucking. On the afternoon of Thursday, May 19th, 1983. That's when things get serious. So let's get serious, guys. No more talking about New Girl. Diane gets off work around 3 p.m. She stays and hangs out with some male coworkers. Of course, Diane does because she's a slut. <laughs> then um, before going home and actually, I'm so sorry to say that. That was offensive. Being a slut is not a bad thing. Being a Diane Downs is a bad thing. I'm sorry. Be proud. Wave your slut flag high. So Diane then goes home and grabs her kids. She and the kids drive out to her parents and hang out with them for a short time. And normally it's like they go out to the parents' house, they'll stay for dinner. But that night they specifically didn't. So they go home and they eat dinner. And then Diane calls a coworker for about an hour on the phone. This is already where I can tell the story is not real because she has a toddler and two small children and you have time to be on the phone for an hour. Mm
0: -hmm. That's not
1: real. Especially after dinner, after dinner. Yeah, they're taking baths and going to bed. You're fighting them to go to bed. This is not real. Diane then drove herself, Cheryl, Christy and Danny. So the kids on a drive towards Marcola. Marcola is like a neighboring town. It's about 12 miles from where they live. So Diane drove the kids to a co-workers farmhouse in Marcola. Her name is Heather Plurd. I want to say I'll tell you later. I just forgot to write it right here. So Heather lives on a a horse farm and it has like other little animals. So Diane and the kids drive over there. And this whole scenario is a alibi for Diane of why she has the children out and about that day. But the coworker was like, I did not know that she was going to come over. So she was shocked that Diane even like showed up. Right. All right. But also, how shocked are you in the 1980s? You don't really have cell phones. People randomly show up at your house. That's what they do. I get it. You have a landline, but maybe you just didn't answer it in time. That's true. So, I That's mean, true. the fact you're being shocked someone shows up, how shocked are you? I just, I don't want to say too much, but that to me, that just whatever. Okay. Um, Diane takes them out for this drive, right? And this is out in the country, and this all is the alibi and excuse for why she's alone at night driving in the dark. We're, we're getting the hint. They leave the farm around nine forty p.m. What the f- Fuck, Diane, your kids are way too young to be out at 940 p.m. You already went to the parents' house. You ate dinner and stuff. This is so. St- OK, <laughs> moving on. Diane and the kids got back into the car and then she drove down an area called Old Mohawk Road. It runs near a river called Mohawk River, and it's a super desolate road and it's super curvy. It twists and turns. Um, my mom would call a road like this a tickle tummy road because it's kind of like there's there's a bunch of bumps and like curves and it feels like a baby roller coaster. And so it kind of like puts oh, okay. puts the butterflies in your stomach, but not strong enough to be butterflies. So my mom calls it tickle tummy because it kind of just feels like a little tickle or something like it's a little. ooh, no, no, no. It's just calm. So my mom calls those roads tickle tummy road. Just so everyone knows because we lived on a tickle tummy road. So um, and so she goes down this road. Right. And Diana's jamming in the car. She's getting it to her. Favorite song of all time, Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran. Kylie, you want to spit me a beat right there? No, I don't. Okay. Hungry Like the Wolf.
0: Duran Okay. Warning. Graphic description coming up. We will be going into graphic detail about the murders due to importance to the trial. If you cannot handle this, we understand. We will catch you next time. All right.
1: It's about 9: 55 p.m. when Diane pulls the car over to the side of the road and gets out with Durandran, Hunger by the Wolf playing. Keep that in I'm not even saying I'm putting a pen because we have a lot of pens we're going to get to. Just keep that. like I already hate it. Start singing that song. No, nope, I already hate it. <laughs> Diane goes to the trunk, pulls out a loaded gun that she had already planned and gets back in the car. She doesn't fully get in the car. She actually, like, opens the door. She kneels down on the seat, leans over Cheryl, and from six to eight inches away, fires the gun. Cheryl, in fear and disbelief, tried escaping the vehicle despite the internal bleeding of the fatal wound she receives. Cheryl opens the car door when Diane runs around to the outside of the car. Cheryl falls almost to the street with her head leaning out of the car and her face close to the asphalt. Diane places the gun against her skin and shoots it again before throwing her aggressively back in the car on the floor of the vehicle in the front seat. Diane throws Cheryl into the car, causing Cheryl to spill blood on the floor of the car from Cheryl's mouth due to her coughing up blood. The first shot was in her back and it exited through her sternum. The second shot stayed in Cheryl's body on her side. And then they say Diane shot a third time. I couldn't figure out where if the wound, like where the wound would be and where it was. Christy saw Diane shoot Cheryl, so she was terrified and instantly feared for her life. Um, because you also have to remember Cheryl's the colicky baby that she loved the least, and she is the most aggressive. And, and she's five, Cheryl right? The most, yes. Okay, and she shoots Cheryl the most. And so, uh, no, she she's not at this point. I'm sorry, she's older than that now. Um, Cheryl would have been seven at this point. Okay. Um, I'll talk about their ages later, though. Cheryl would have been seven, Christy's eight, and Danny's three, though. Um, but you have to know, she knows she's not loved by her mom. She knows she's the least loved. She's shot the most in this story. And I, most of you already know the story. I'm just going to give the disclaimer. Cheryl's the only kid that dies. Everyone else lives. So Diane then turned in the back seat towards a sleeping Daniel and shot him in the back only six to nine inches away, hitting his spine. He was in the driver's side back seat. Next, Diane turns, shoots Christy in the chest, only nine to 12 inches away. Christy then attempts to raise her hand to try to protect herself and plead with her mother, only for another bullet to go through her thumb and hand. That second shot ended up going through her hand and then ending up near her neck, still in her chest. In the back seat, Christy and Danny were clinging for life. Cheryl was in the front seat on the floor, severely wounded, fatally bleeding out. Diane then shot the fleshy part of her arm between her wrist and her elbow to give the appearance that she had also been attacked. She then took a large piece of pink and purple towel she had neatly folded up and originally had put in the trunk that she brought when she brought the gun and she tied it around her arm as a bandage, helping her, you know, not bleed out. She then threw the gun in the old Mohawk River and got back in the vehicle. Diane then drove six miles to the McKenzie Willamette Hospital in Springfield, Oregon, which took her 30 minutes. Six miles. While arriving at the hospital around 10:30 p.m., Diane slams her horn on and gets and jumps out of her car, yelling to the hospital co-workers to save her children. She rushed to the hospital. She's in need of help. Someone shot her kids. Help, help, help. Put a pin in that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Put a pin in that entire conversation about her driving 6 miles for 30 minutes and freaking out when she gets there. Nurses and attendants rush to the car and they gather Danny and Christy from the back seat of the vehicle and they bring them into the emergency unit right away. At first, the hospital workers didn't even notice that there was a dead Cheryl in the floor of the front seat because she was covered by a sweatshirt hunched over on the floor of the vehicle. But then Diane yells to the co-workers, oh, my God, you forgot my other child. And she hasn't moved. She hasn't made any noises. She's in the front of the car. I'm afraid she might be well. And then she can't continue herself. Upon arrival, it was noted that Cheryl, seven years old, was already dead. Danny, three years old, was completely paralyzed from the waist down to the to due to the shot through his spine. And Christy, eight years old, had a multiple severe wounds, but had suffered a disabling stroke due to the severe trauma of getting shot. Diane herself was bleeding from her arm. That's it. Doctors and had it bandaged. Dr. Stephen Willett had just gotten home when his beeper went off and he was rushed back for the emergency call. Willett later recalled thinking that originally Christy was also dead because of how much blood and the severity of her wounds. Christy had dilated pupils and no heartbeat. Her heart had stopped and they had to revive her because her blood pressure was practically like it wasn't a thing. And she was technically resuscitated from the point of death. However, at this point, Dr. Willett did save Christy's life and he was the first one to notify Diane that her child was still alive. And this moment of him notifying Diane was a big deal because
0: Diane had a shocking reaction to this news. Dr. Willett said, Not one tear. You know, she just asked, how is she doing? Not one emotional reaction. She says things to me like, boy, this has really spoiled my vacation. And she also says, that really ruined my new car. I got blood all over the back of it. I knew within 30 minutes of talking with that woman that she was guilty.
1: Now we're going to take out that pen, the six miles and 30 minutes, right? Later, a witness named Joe Inman came forward and he was talking about how and this kind of happens at the same time, but I'm talking about it later because it's discussed more during court also. But pretty much around the same time when Diane's at the hospital, there's a call placed in to the police about how someone is driving very oddly down Old Mohawk Road. And when I say oddly, they were like, this person was driving so slow that they were going five to seven miles an hour. And Joe, who was following them, never even had his car hit the 10 mile per hour mark. That's how
0: slow they were going. It's probably what saved them. It's what killed them. No. Well,
1: she was trying to kill them because she was trying to have them bleed out.
0: No, I know. But
1: yes, you're right. It could have potentially also been a good thing, but we don't look at it that way.
0: No, I know. But I know what you're saying. Just scientifically, from all angles, it could have been something that saved them.
1: Although it definitely is what I don't think uh, this is a slippery slope. I don't think Cheryl would have lived even if she got to the hospital in the 10 minutes because she had two fatal shots. Yeah. But she didn't even have a chance because of this. Yeah. There was zero percent chance. At least then she could have had maybe 15% or something. You never know. Yeah. So the road was a super curvy and windy road, like I talked about. And Diane was driving so slowly that it actually caused a traffic jam because no one could pass her because of like all the curves. So eventually during a small straight enough patch of the road, Joe passes Diane and he actually called authorities because of the suspicious behavior. And that contradicts her claims that she rushed at a high speed to the hospital, though. And people were noticing that. A bunch of other small things started getting noticed, like how when Diane arrived, she was the only one who had her wounds tended to, especially with the type of bandage and everything, because Diane had claimed that she was carjacked on the side of the road by a strange man with bushy or like she later calls it tousled hair or something like that. And she said that that man had shot her and her children. Diane claimed she tricked the attacker and then sped off and attempted to rush to the hospital to get her and her children help. Investigators and hospital workers quickly became suspicious, though, even though there was a man, manhunt going out for the bushy haired man. They decided that Diane's mannerisms were too calm for a person who had just experienced such a traumatic event, though. She made a number of statements that both police and hospital workers considered highly inappropriate. We talked about some of those earlier, like how the doctor said she made a comment about her vacation and her car, things like that. She was so upset about how her new car might be ruined due to gun holes or blood, things like that. Her discombobulated story of the event started unraveling, and her story started to change every time she talked about it. According to Diane, her story was a, one of the original stories, I should say. She was visiting her co-worker friend, Heather Plourd, after, work with her, uh, after going to work and then spending time with her kids, right? And when they left, they wanted to do sightseeing, even though it was dark out already, because they left at 9 p.m. But she's like, we want to go sightseeing until it was dark. I don't know what sites you're going to see at 9 p.m. on Old Mohawk Road, but
0: who knows? By that point, the children
1: had fallen asleep in the back. So Diane was like, oh, OK, like we're just going to take a leisure drive home. Diane then saw a strange man on the side of the road trying to flag her car down. And so she was on a rural, lonely, dark, middle of nowhere road in the dark with her kids asleep in the road. And she decides I'm going to stop and ask this if this man needs help. Another thing that we know is not real. That is not what people do. No. She described him as a white male, late 20s, shaggy or bushy hair, 150 to 170 pounds, stubble with a beard, about 5'9", wearing Levi's with a Levi jacket and a cut off dirty T-shirt. The man asked Diane to help him, so she got out of the car to do so. He then threatened to steal her car. He pushed her. She heard some shots because he had put his like head and arms kind of inside the vehicle and started to shoot her children inside the vehicle. Diane said so her first instinct was to take her key ring in her hand and pretend to throw it. And apparently this man is a dog, so that would distract him because he would think the keys are being thrown. And apparently that worked. Um, So when he turns around, she gets to like try to run into the vehicle, but he turns back around. He shoots her two times once hitting her in the arm So then she kicks him when she's like down for the count, getting shot in the arm. And then she jumps in the vehicle and she manages to speed off like a mad woman on the way to the hospital for help. So that's Diane's story. Mm Okay. Now, later, we find out the forensic evidence could not match the story one bit. Plus, the original statements she made didn't match the story because Diane had told nurses and doctors that her children were awake when they were shot and that it was a really traumatizing event for them. And that because of that, if they live through this, they might not know the real story. Authorities also ask her if the man was standing out there on the side of the road or if he was by a car, because like Old Mohawk Road is in the middle of nowhere. How would he have gotten there without having another vehicle? So all of a sudden she changed her story and she's like, well, no, no, no. He was actually outside jogging. And then they were like, oh, OK. And she's like, actually, wait, no, no, no. He wasn't outside alone. There were two men. And they were like, wait, what? She's like, well, I mean, No there weren't two men. There was a man and an old beat up yellow car and he needed help with the car. I don't know how you would mistake a man for a yellow car. Right. (laughs) But Okay. Especially a yellow one. You're going to be like black. (laughs) like (laughs) Nothing. Right. It continued to change and make no sense. Diane was having odd behavior that alarmed authorities, doctors and anyone who was interacting with her. Diane was calm and even laughing and acting just like normal in nature. Like that sounds weird, but. Or that sounds normal, but like to be acting normal after kids are shot and one of them is dead. That's odd. Yeah, it's a major traumatic shot. experience. And there are there's that slippery slope. People say we're like, yeah, but like some people mask their their pain and stuff by laughter. And stuff. Yeah. I know that's true. I I have this terrible, terrible feature that I do that is my least favorite thing about myself and I can't seem to fix it. Uh, I only have two emotions, Kylie, and I have talked about this before. I have happy and I have angry. If I'm sad, I'm angry. If I'm mad, I'm angry. If I'm annoyed, I'm angry. Or I'm happy. So when I go to a funeral, I don't want to be angry because that's not fair. So I have this really awkward, nervous laughter that comes about, kind of like the movie The Joker. And I tend to accidentally laugh at funerals a lot. And it's something I've done my whole life. Don't know where I picked it up. It's just something I do. Or like, if I'm in like a really serious case, like getting in trouble at work, I will accidentally start giggling. And it is not because I am happy one bit. It's just the only emotion I can. Otherwise, I know I'm going to get mad and then I'm going to get in a bigger, bigger fight than I'm in. Right. So I better stay happy. So my body like naturally is like, let's giggle. I'm like, fucking cry. I'll be like, <laughs> fucking. Christ. I'll be like literally fighting with someone that cheated on me and I'll start laughing and I look like a fucking psychopath. I'm Like, no, I'm really miserable right now. I'm just laughing because it's the best emotion laughter is medicine it's not a good thing so like i understand though like you might be massing that however diane is not like me she's actually crazy i mean like i'm not right right right, right. okay <laughs> <laughs> so diane acting crazy is crazy right literally When Diane had this behavior, Diane seemed very confused about one thing. They told her Danny wasn't dead. And she all of a sudden was like no longer happy and laughing. She was actually like just confused. So they were like, well, that's weird. Shouldn't she be like, I don't know, not confused, but more like happy. Like, oh, my God, my child isn't dead. Grateful or like worried about, oh, then what condition is he in? Like any kind of emotion other than just confused. She also was not alarmed when they said that Christy was in a really frail state. In fact, she made a comment saying how if she had any brain damage or if she needed support of any kind, that she should just pull the plug and be left to die because like, that's just a burden. Yeah. Okay. Diane then decides to come and see her children in the rooms of the hospital, which was a really big flag again, because when Diane came into Christy's room, she went over to her and like leaned in to tell Christy she loved her and Everyone in the hospital noticed how terrified Christy looked. Her pupils dilated. The medical personnel said that her heart rate sped up at a wild rate and it looked like
0: Christy was frightened of Diane and everyone made note of that. Did she not think that that's how I mean, they're like they're older? Mm-hmm. OK, she
1: could have thought it was traumatizing, I guess. I don't know. Enough like trauma to block the memory. I'm, I mean, yeah. Officer Doug Welch did one of the interviews with Diane and he mentioned how calm she was when she learned that her child had passed away and commented how this really ruined her new car because there's blood all over it, which we've heard her say all these things more than once now. Everyone is reporting the same thing. She then goes as far as to say, if it was her children's time, it's their time. Just God, please don't let them suffer. So. okay. Around 1 a.m. the authorities and detectives ran some tests and interview on Diane, including checking for gunpowder on her hands. She actually came up negative with no residue on her hands that night, though. So at first they were like, well, fuck, wait, no, like there's huge red flags pointing at Diane. But then this one thing that we could have been like smoking gun, all of a sudden came up negative And they're like, wait, mm-hmm. something's wrong here. State trooper and forensic expert Jim Pex came to the scene after being called. And within moments of meeting Diane, he had the same thought that all the deputies have been saying, Diane is not being honest and something is very wrong here. Diane has a weird, calm nature. And since the police originally did have a manhunt out for the man that Diane explained, the investigators quickly decided the manhunt wasn't going anywhere and they actually needed to change the main suspect of the shooting to none other than Diane. So her kids got turned over to the state. Put a pin in it. Okie dokie. They didn't arrest Diane at the hospital that day, though, because they wanted to make sure they had enough evidence to put Diane away for this. They were already determined that Diane did it and they didn't want to fuck around. Pex went to look at the car and the scene. He noted that there was blood spatter on the driver's side car, but there was not any gun residue powder on the driver's door or the interior door panel which would have been vital to her story if the man would have like put his arm in there and like the the way that she described it, there would have had to have been that. And that wasn't the case. So again, we're finding that Diane's story could not be true. Now, this thing was a huge deal and it's so fucking complicated. So I am going to explain it. You can watch the YouTube video explaining it, but his five minute explanation is very confusing. I had to watch it three times. <laughs> There was a blood stain on the door jam of the passenger door, and the direction of the spatter was inconsistent to the story Diane was telling. So, the door jam is like where the door comes together, right? A jam, like, okay, all right. The only way a door jam could have blood on it is if a door was open. Do you see what I'm saying here? Otherwise, the blood would have been on the door, not the door jam, because the door jam is where the door opens, where it would have been closed if the man shot. Like if inside. Diane's story was true, this yes. is going to get more confusing. This whole blood splatter forensic evidence. This is a whole episode of Dexter I'm about to do to you guys. So Diane told the story as if the assailant was standing on the ground outside the sc- outside the car on the driver's side of the vehicle. He put his head and arms kind of inside the vehicle in the driver's passenger window and shot the children without them moving while they were asleep in the vehicle. So there should be no reason the door is opening, the door jam. And there's something else that gets really weird in a minute of the blood splatter. All right. So with that being the case, Pex discovered the blood had spattered back on the door jam of the opposite side. So it's facing towards the vehicle. Now, why does that matter? You're wondering. Because if he shot from the right side, the blood would spatter left. But the issue is, is she's saying he shot from the right side, but the blood splatter is on the right side. Because remember, Diane actually ran around to the side of the car. Right. And the door was open. So the blood splattered that opposite direction with the door open. Do you guys get what I'm saying here? I do. I God, got it. I hope that I'm makes following. sense. Okay, now this meant that Cheryl would have had to have been shot outside the car and with the door open because the door, the blood splatter would simply be on the internal door of the car where she's sitting in the car. But with it being on the door jam with the door open and some on the closed door surface surface, the door had to be open with Cheryl shot for that to occur. That's the summary. Now. Let's make it more complicated. <laughs> Yay. There's a thing on your car called a rocker panel. That is kind of essentially the like bumpery things on the side of your car, like under your door frames. That's the best I can describe that little little do mm-hmm. All right. So the rocker panel, right? Pex found one to two millimeter size droplets of blood under the vehicle on the rocker panel under the door of the passenger side. How would it get down there? Unless someone's head was down by the ground near the rocker panel. But if that's the case also, wouldn't the blood splatter be there and not droplets? Well, that's because of something else. The size of droplet is actually more of something else, like a wound inflicted by external source of blood. What the fuck did you just say, Athena? It's someone (laughs) coughing up blood. Mm -hmm. it's not a blood splatter being shot. It's you coughing up blood after being shot. So with that being part of the case now, it shows that Cheryl not only opened the door to attempt to get away from the assailant, but she also had her face down was shot outside the vehicle from the opposite side of the vehicle while coughing up blood and still being alive and attempts to flee the shooting. We find all this out, right? So we're like, shit, none of this bitch's story is true. By the way, that was a lot of explaining. I deserve an Academy Award. I got it, though. Wasn't I? I, I needed it, though. I feel like I really explained that. Yeah. As good as I can. I kind of feel like a shell of a human because of how many times I had to watch that clip over and over. It just like.
0: But after. OK, I, I got to do. OK, what? Yeah. And like <laughs> after I got it, I was like, oh, my God. Duh. Yeah. So. The
1: evidence. OK, so there was another thing that was even more complicated and I didn't want to get super into it, but. It's called powder burns. Do you know what powder burns are? Mm-hmm. OK, a lot of people that shoot guns would know. So the powder burns are essentially like if I would describe it, when you throw a rock into a river, that ripple that comes out, that's the powder burn. It's showing where the bullet hit and the powder and the powder that comes off of it in the ripple effect. That's that's kind of a good description, right? Yeah, a simple one. Cody's like, uh, Cody, who the fuck is Cody. <laughs> Corey's like, you dumb bitch. No. (laughs) Sorry, Corey, for calling Cody. Let's move on. Let's move on. (laughs) There was evidence of powder burns, and they go into this in the YouTube. uh, Doctor uh, Forensic Pex does this, and this one, he spends a lot of time explaining. I summed it up into one paragraph. Two-ish, three. The evidence (laughs) of the powder burns shows that the gun was shot within inches of Cheryl, which couldn't have happened because if... What Pex had heard and like authorities believe that means whoever shot Cheryl was not standing outside the car on the driver's side. They either had to be standing on the same side and or like literally inside the vehicle, kneeling inside it. Hmm, Okay. Which meant her story again couldn't be true. Right. They wondered if Cheryl was scared of what her of her siblings getting shot. And that's why she attempted to escape. Or if potentially she was partially outside the vehicle or if she was shot while fleeing the vehicle or attempting to get away and fleeing the vehicle. There were possibilities of multiple things that could have happened here, but they knew that one of those had to happen, which already was just making everything unbelievable. The powder burns also showed that Danny and Christy were shot at point blank range from inside the car, though. Inside the car, the shooter being inside. This had together proved everything about everything Diane had said was entirely a lie And none of her story was true. So they were hoping that if they tell her they know that much that they could get her to confess. But then Diane did something more interesting. (laughs) Diane started talking to the press about her alleged attack, how she survived it. And oh, my gosh, like how she's so grateful that her and her kids survived everything. And police were like, "Okay, fine, do it. We're going to watch you slip up. And that was their goal. They were like, all right, she's going to do some stupid bitch move and Mm -hmm. it's going to suck. Right. So they were watching her like hawks, but they also were trying to have her retrace her steps. So her and actually um, Steve went with her. Oh, Steve! Oh, Steve! Oh, Steve! So Steve and her go out, and they were trying to retrace the steps and talk about like what happened that night to try to get her to also maybe make mistakes. And then while driving there in the back seat, Diane mentions how she jinxed her kids, and they were like, "What?" And she's like, "I just I shouldn't have bought it." And they were like, shouldn't have bought what? And she's like, you know, just like mumbling under breath. And she's like, well, I bought this statue recently. It's a unicorn statue. And I had it engraved with the words May 13th and all my kids names on it. This makes police believe that it was a memorial statue. And she was actually going to kill him on May 13th, by the way. But then she just didn't. So the car that she was driving that night, it was her brand new car. It was a red car and it had red upholstery inside. So at first, police were having a difficult time telling the blood from carpet, but they did notice that the driver's side and the steering wheel had no blood on it. There was blood and vomit on the front passenger side, along with a spent bullet casing in the floorboards under the glove compartment. The back seat had blood as well. And throughout the car, they they found two more spent bullet casings. When police found the spent bullet casings inside the car, they realized they were looking for a .22 caliber semi-automatic weapon, potentially a pistol. They issued a warrant to search Diane's home in Springfield right away, despite Diane saying she had never owned a gun and she didn't own one at that time. Funnily enough, though, Steve, her ex-husband, and and Nick Knickerbocker, her ex-lover, both called in and told the police that she actually owned multiple guns. Steve ended up flying down, like I said, because he went with them for the police thing, but he also ended up flying down to check in on the kids, right? Because, like, he actually cares. He told authorities that Diane actually owned three guns, a .22 rifle, a .22 pistol, and a 38 special. He went as far as to mention how Diane asked him, and he taught her how to load, shoot, and use all three firearms. Steve talks about how she had shot a hole in the bathroom floor that one time years ago. And so they were like, hmm okay, let's dig under the house. So they pull up the floor in that bathroom, dig under the house and dig up that old bullet casing and they check it and they find out it's a 22. So they start doing all this really complicated stuff that I do not want to (laughs) describe because I, again, listened to it a bajillion times and it didn't seem worth my life to try to re-explain it because I didn't want to make this episode too long. But bullets are kind of like, um fingerprints where there's something rare on them and it's the way they eject and this like mark it makes and stuff uh i'm not explaining this well but essentially they could tell that two different 22s have the same type of bullet because of a way that it's ejecting and the way that it makes this like mark and those bullets had this u-shaped thing and then this one had this u-shaped thing essentially they're like bitch you use two of the same gun style with the same bullets we can tell okay so police thought it was really odd, though, because when they saw odd. Odd, really it, odd, <laughs> really old, though, because when they searched the home, they only found three photos in the living room and all three were of Diane alone. Not with her children. There was not a photo of their her children in that entire house. OK, there was also another photo in the home and it was of a random bearded man. They were like, OK, that's probably Nick Knickerbocker. There was little to no furniture in the home. Like the living room only had like one chair and a TV in it. Diane's room had a king-size waterbed and some boxes half unpacked in it. The children's rooms were simply beds with boxes and like nothing else. And the boxes were all like half open, half gone through. But overall, the home was really eerie. It was unfurnished. It just did not look like people actually like really lived there. They also found the unicorn statue. They confirmed it had the names and the date engraved on it. But Diane was like really persistent asking the police to bring her her diary because it was like super important. Because Diane keeps a diary and, like, she writes in it all the time about everything and she really ends a fucking thorough. Okay. Well, Diane's dumb. Right. Okay. And Diane was like, if I write in the diary for two weeks, they will only look at those two weeks. But, see, Diane wrote for, like, four fucking years in this diary and she's not like, oh, they're going to read all four years. She's like, they'll only read those two weeks. So the diary was filled with references to Nick about his hesitancy with the relationship involving children. It also just talked about Nick 24 fucking seven. And they make comments that it looked like a school girl, school girl, wrote it about like a crush.
0: It was probably like a train wreck and they
1: could not stop reading it. Yes. They said that it literally did look like a high schooler wrote it like it just seems so childish and immature. Diane's journal was uh, literally just like a tribute of how obsessed she was with Nick. And she talked about him nonstop. She talked about how she also really liked watching MTV and watching music videos. She mentioned her favorite song in the world was Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran because it reminds her of making love with Nick. And it's like their their jam. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Love that for her. Super great. I feel like it's a good bang song, though. The beat isn't there no no it's not a thing no yeah on may 11th a week before the incident well less than a week before the incident all of a sudden her posts were no longer about nick they actually started being about her family and her children she was like we're so close nowadays my kids are all i need i don't need no man i got my kids my kids and i have each other we love each other we are one complete family who needs a man and then she like went out and she was like, Hey, can you guys like, please pick up that diary? Like, please. Cause she wanted them to find that she wanted them to be like, Oh my God, look how much she loves her kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Diane lost those visitations rights. We, we talk about how they were taken away right to the state. We're going to move on to the next thing, by the way, I kind of just transitioned that. So we talk about how Diane lost the visitation rights, the pen. Well, when she lost the kids, she lost visitation rights to see the kids and as the evidence was stacking up, they said that she could not be allowed alone with the kids. And they wanted to make sure they had a 100% chance of sending Diane away. So they were taking their time with this. And one day, Steve did have visitation rights. And Diane was complaining about how she missed the kids so much she couldn't see them. And Steve felt so fucking bad. And the lonely heart he is, he caved in and he told Diane she could take Christy and go hang out with her alone. Well, Diane was him and Diane were like, "Okay, we'll meet back up at the hotel that he's staying at." He's like at you know like six p.m. because I have to get the kids back at six thirty or something, whatever, right? Well, then like eight p.m. rolls around and she's had Christy for fucking hours, and Steve's first thought is like, "I'm really nervous because what if Diane took Christy to go finish the job and killed her?" Which, if that's your fucking thought, why did you let her take the kid? Come on, Steve. Steve, stop it. Well, in the end, Diane did end up coming back and Christy was returned. And and Steve just tried to play it off like, I'm so sorry, Emily, I like wasn't paying attention at the time and like I was hanging out with Christy. Right. Whatever. And so he Diane played it off. No, he played it off to like the 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 state like to the CPS. I think he played it off.
0: Mm -hmm. No, he
1: doesn't know why Diane kept the kid. Okay, well, he was too scared to tattle on Diane because he didn't want essentially his rights to get taken away. Right. So he's like, we'll keep this secret. We'll take it to the grave. Right. But if anyone's watched Pretty Little Liars, you know that you can't keep a secret. So he ends up tattling on Diane about the guns, remember? And he's like, no, I actually taught her everything. So Diane's like, yeah, well, you know what Steve did? He let me fucking take Christy one day. (laughs) Fuck. What a bit, Diane! So, yeah, that was her, like, getting back at him moment. Uh, This time, they keep portraying. I've been portraying, actually, like, but, but Diane does also. She's portraying, like, That Nick and Diane are this couple and that she's in love with Nick, right? And that's all they see in the the book. uh, What's it called? Her journal. That's all they see in her journal. But I'm portraying it as I've been talking about this whole episode about like how Nick doesn't love Diane near as much and Diane clearly is in love. Okay, well, that's not totally true, I guess. They actually have matching tattoos. (laughs) They have these like gaudy roses with names. Okay. Well, Diane has his name, he does not have her name. So, Some stories say that they got them together, but then I heard a different story that said that Diane went and did it first when she was moving. And uh, well, she did it first. And then when she was moving, he was like, okay, like you just shut up and leave me alone. I'll get the rose too. So they have this matching rose tattoo. His is like on his forearm. And I think hers is like on her back or something. So they have matching tattoos, right? Okay, whatever. I'm just letting you know that. Diana's fucking crazy, but Nick also did lead her on a lot. He's Nick Dickerbocker. <gasps> yes! <laughs> it only took an hour and a half recording to have a joke.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, are you proud of yourself? Yeah, I'm so happy. I didn't need subtitles for that one.
1: Uh, yes! <laughs> Fuck me up, fam. Then, while they were ransacking the house, you know, looking for the diary and everything else, they found one last thing. A gun. Oh god! They found a 22 caliber rifle. Ding, ding, ding. Mm. You think life is good, right? <laughs> they take the gun in and they test it out. They fire a bullet and the casing marks don't match. That's not the gun she used. So they're like, oh my fucking God, how can this be? So that's when they start doing all these like ejection marks and they learn how the bullets eject and all that stuff and the unique signature on the bullets and that. bam. They start doing all these test fires, right? And they realize the rifle's the wrong gun, but the bullets are the right bullets and it's like the right type of marking and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Well, they dig up a bunch of information on Diane and they find out that she purchased a Ruger 22 caliber pistol. pistol, Pister? (laughs)
0: Pister. Caliber pistol. I glitched so hard and I couldn't figure out how to not. Ooh. (laughs) <laughs> it just kept doing it too it didn't stop caliber pistir, 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 pistir. <laughs> <laughs> guys it's really late here and we are so tired we got this let's go
1: <laughs> 22 caliber pistol <laughs> and they went out and they were like we're gonna buy one just like it and we're gonna test it and they found that it made similar extraction marks and essentially they came to the conclu- conclusion with all that what gun would have been used in the shooting and how it matched hers and the bullets and everything else? And although the gun was never found, the police realized this was
0: enough to convict Diane. So it wasn't like direct evidence, but it was, it pretty was darn, darn close. Yeah. It was, it was up there. And they're never going to find the gun because it's in the
1: river, in the old Nighthawk River. Yeah. Before convictions, during another interview with authorities, Diane had changed her story again, though. Of this is like she did. not even long before it. Right. She mentioned again, there were two men, not one, and they called her out by name, knowing who she was. And they were like, Diane, we're going to kill your children because of what you did. I don't know. Okay. So the men were out there waiting for her on Old Mohawk Road, saw her and attacked. Here's the thing. She says in every interview, she picked Old Mohawk Road to go traveling and like sightseeing on a whim. So what were these men just like waiting every single night for her? And like, Thinking she'll drive down Old Mohawk Road after visiting her coworker, or like, did right? They, did they call the coworker and find out where she was? And right, then it's not
0: 2022. They're not like,
1: they could not hack her, her phone. phone. Yes, this isn't. So. Yeah. So the detectives already were like, they, they knew she was lying. So they just kept pressing and stuff. Diane's ends up getting that whole sentence. Diane's ends up. Diane ends up getting so fucking pissed. She storms out of the interview and says she actually knew who killed her, uh, who tried to kill her kids, but because the police are being so mean to her, she refused to help them because they're not treating her fairly and she, this, they have to solve this on their own. Okay. She storms out. Diane then gets arrested on February 28th, 1984. She was charged with one count of murder and then two counts each of attempted murder and criminal assault. This was only nine months after the shooting. Diane was seen smiling and looking giddy as the deputies escorted her, and she did not have a fucking care in the world. Her arraignment was at the Lane County Courthouse in Eugene County, Oregon. Do you say Oregon or Oregon? Oregon. Yeah. Good job. All you Oregon assholes to fucking hate you.
0: But I still say New Orleans. Okay. I'll In Louisiana, because
1: someday we're going to do a uh, Donner party episode. And every podcast I've ever heard that does that says Oregon. And I got to tell y'all, I am not. I'm not that person. I'm not going to do it. I'm I don't not care. That person. <laughs> so once done reading the charges Diane was facing, her attorney stood up, shocked the whole courtroom. He literally looked straight at the judge and said, Besides, your honor, my client is pregnant and it would be bad for her health to go to jail as the end of the legal arguments. Yep,
0: Diane's pregnant again. You thought you escaped. That is so Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So
1: there were three different rumors. One is that there was a reporter and Diane, they had a sexual relationship. And once, you know, that happened, she became pregnant. Story number two is that she went to an old coworker. They had sex and she got pregnant. Story three is that she was going out on her old mail route and she showed up at some random guy's house that she used to deliver mail to. She brought alcohol and weed, seduced him, uh, specifically whiskey, and bam, pregnant. So, I don't know. Something happened. Pretty much, there was a penis. She's pregnant. <laughs> so during that, is that how it works? <laughs> Maybe I'm not oh, sure yet. I'm oh. learning. Okay. So during the trial, Diane was eight months pregnant, hoping to get sympathy from the jury. She milked it for all it was fucking worth. The trial started on May 10th, and it lasted only six weeks. During the trial, prosecutors argued. They said that Diane shot her children to be free of them so that she could attenuate her affair with Nick Knickerbocker. Psychiatrists diagnosed Diane with narcissistic, histrionic, and antisocial personality disorders, lab- labeling her as a deviant sociopath. Dang. Heather Plord, the friend that she visited that day, went on the stand and said that at one point after the shooting, Diane actually came back and visited her and told her she was really nervous that after Christy wakes up and after Christy starts talking everything, that she would actually blame Diane for the entire event and the shooting. And Heather was like, why would you assume that would happen if you weren't guilty? And Diane's like, well, because, you know, she just won't remember correctly. So, never mind. Yeah. They ended up bringing in a full-size replica of Diane's car with dummies to represent the children. A lot of people in the courtroom were really shocked by that. But they were trying to demonstrate the events to prove that all of her story was lies and how traumatizing the event truly would have been. They also played a video reenactment of the entire event, as well as video of Diane telling the story in which she's giggling about her children being shot. They then bring in the towel to prove that it was pre-folded and that she had it ready for when she shot herself because like the way the creases were and stuff and they had it all like planned out. Then the biggest shock happened. Christy at 10 years old, after going through months of therapy, learning to talk, learning to do everything again. She decided to go up and testify. So before the trial, during the time, Christy was going to therapy all the time, right? And one day her therapist was like, Christy, I want you to tell me who shot you. And she's like, no. And they were like, Christy, just talk about it. And she's like, no, I can't. And they were in a room that had like a fireplace, like a little like fire pit thing, like in the lobby area. And they were like, how about this? I'm going to give you three pieces of paper on each of these pieces of paper. You write down one who shot Cheryl, one who shot you, one who shot Danny. If you want to give them to me, I'll read them. If not throw them in the fire and no one will ever know. She's like, "Okay, fine. So she writes down, he, he asks her, he's like, okay, who shot Danny? Write it on that paper. Who shot Cheryl? Write it on that one. Who shot Christy? Okay. And every single day for months, she would every single day throw her paper on the fire. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And he asked her every single day. And then after months and months of doing this, one day she's like, I'm going to give you the papers. And she hands them over. And for every question, who shot you? Who shot Danny? Who shot Cheryl? On all the papers it said, my mom. Dang. Fucking woof. Sh- A big portion of the case actually rested on the testimony of Christy and she described how her mother shot all three children while parked on the side of the road and then shot herself in the arm. While on the stand, Christy, when they asked specifically, who shot you? She simply answered my mom. They also asked questions like, do you believe your mom would shoot you again? And she's like, well, I don't know. She was, she she was really upset with us and stuff. And they were like, well, do you love your mom? And she's like, well, of course I love my mom. It's my mom. And they're like, but do you think she would do it again? And she's like, well, maybe it was so fucking sad. Jeez. So Diane pleaded innocent to this, saying that that's not what actually happened and that Christy just doesn't remember correctly. The prosecutor asked Christy how she knew who fired the gun and she simply said, I was there, I watched. The defense said that the testimony is coerced and the gun evidence is all planted to frame Diane and that like Christy's story isn't right. While on the stand, Christy also mentioned something that she remembered from the event. She talks about how the music was playing the entire time. She specifically remembers the song Hungry Like the Wolf playing during the entire event that night. But remember, Diane's story is she took the keys out to fake throw them to the golden retriever, dude. Mm-hmm. But uh, here's the thing. The type of car she had in the year she had, the tape deck would only work if the cars are in the ignition. So and Christy remembers the song playing the whole time. So the, the keys never left the vehicle. OK, so that's that's another thing. And then they were like, actually, funny that this is brought up. um, Side note, they during a few interviews actually played Hungry like the wolf during police interviews in the background and during like events. And they also played it for Christy during her therapy and stuff to try to re-traumatize her and bring back the memories and stuff like that. And you have to think of how traumatizing this song is for Christy and everything, right? Mm -hmm. And like Dan's, you know, this is her like lover song. So then in the middle of court, they start playing Hungry like the wolf and Christy is freaking the fuck out and diane starts singing along tapping her foot and she's like dancing in her seat and she's like smiling and giggling singing along this is the song she shot her children to and killed one of them and she's getting it because she's thinking about fucking nick nickerbocker
0: jesus diane That's was fucked up <laughs> isn't
1: that super fucked up and now do you see why i'm like this bitch ruined the song yeah she really ruined it yeah Especially for Chrissy, imagine just being in a car and hearing that come on the radio. The trauma this girl has to live with for her entire and Danny just Danny's alive, too, by the way. He's still paralyzed, but he was too young for a lot of this. So just because I haven't updated about him. Sorry. Diane was convicted of all charges on June 17th, 1984, sentenced to life in prison, plus 50 years. She was required to serve 25 years before being considered for parole. The judge made it clear that his goal and intentions were for Diane to never be free again. Ten days after being sentenced, Diane ended up giving birth to a baby girl who she named Amy Elizabeth. And that was a month before the like trial of her being put away ending in 1984. So ten days before Diane's sentencing, Amy was seized by the state of Oregon and then she was adopted by Chris and Jackie Babcock and they renamed her Rebecca, a.k.a. Becky Babcock. Another alliteration, though. Becky Babcock. Um, Be- uh, as an adult, Becky, Rebecca, she's appeared on Oprah 2020, things like that. She discussed how she feels about her mom being Diane Downs and like how she was a child that got away and like never had to deal with it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. She also wrote uh, to Diane in her younger years Um, while Diane was in prison and stuff to kind of like just get some clarification and verification and stuff like that. But in her writings, she says that she regrets the fact that Diane's her mom and that she's a monster and she uses the word a monster to describe her. Diane's two surviving children eventually went to live with Fred Hughey, who was the lead prosecutor on the case. So him and his wife, Joanna, they did not really want kids. It wasn't in their plans. They weren't really wanting kids or anything. But Fred the moment he like he says it was the moment he met those kids he like felt something and then he was so passionate during that case and about that case and everything that he was like those are my kids like those are my children that i Aww. never knew i needed and didn't have those are our children so him and joanna adopted danny and Christian kept them together and, and adopted them in 1986 that's awesome so diane was initially incarcerated in the oregon women's correctional center in salem and then on july 11th 1987 after we incarcerated for only three years diane escaped prison your face
0: <laughs> who the fuck escapes prison <laughs>
1: so what happened was she was she actually had just got done doing like a 2020 type interview so the outfit she was wearing is like super famous she was on a news broadcast right and then she ended up getting out of her cell and she scaled an 18 foot razor wire fence with a coat Threw the coat over the barbed wire and crawled out of the prison now doing this she ripped that shirt up and also it was just featured in like a tv special so she took it off and she got rid of it and then she hid under a parked car after a while she came out and she caught a ride with some strangers in a car that took her to a a restaurant a few blocks away now the people that picked her up they were a couple That said they recognized and knew who Diane Downs was, but they decided to help her.
0: Fuckers. I don't like them. Are they in prison now? Because that'd be great. They have to be. They have to have at least had served some time, but
1: because you're aiding and abetting. Yeah. Yeah. So for 10 days, Diane managed to evade law enforcement despite a 14 state manhunt, but she ended up getting recaptured, right? So while loose, Diane was staying with some guy. That was the husband of a fellow inmate. The man claimed that Diane was attempting to get pregnant the whole time while escaped, though. Not not just by him, but imagine the girl that allowed. That's the wife. Like, do you not know who Diane Downs is? And you're like letting this homie hopping whore come to your house. Yeah. Like, you know, she's going to try and get pregnant. So how she found this place was this whole map thing that I'll explain in a second. But the place that she was at was only a few blocks away from the Hughey family home. And he was fucking scared that she was going to come steal her, steal the children back or finish the job. He said that every night that she was on the loose, that the kids were upstairs in their rooms, like sleeping with the mom in the room or something. And that he sat in a chair and slept in a chair, sat directly in front of his front door with a gun in his arms every night. And he said, those are my children. She will not do anything. On that same note, Becky was also very close and they that family was terrified that she was going to come and steal Becky or something Mm -hmm. like she's right near everyone. Well, she didn't, but they found her because essentially like they found a map that led directly to her. They went into her jail cell. And you know how when you write on paper, if it's like a pad of paper, it leaves an indent on the paper under it. They went in and they noticed that pad of paper had some indents. So they kind of like scribbled on top of it. And it was literally a hand drawn map to exactly where she went. Like a full on map that the inmate had drawn her.
0: You could be dumb or you could be real dumb. Oh, she's real dumb. I'm sure Steve would have helped her, though, if
1: she wanted to escape. I'm and be sure with her. he would have. So they found her and they arrested her. And the day they found her, she was in bed with a random man. It It wasn't the husband guy. It was a different guy. I think that guy's name was Wayne. Maybe it was a different guy, though. She was arrested and she was wearing that Wayne guy, the husband's boxers and some random dude's T-shirt. Okay. After being caught, Diane received an additional five years for the escape. She was then transferred to the New Jersey Department of Corrections and Clinton Correctional Facility for Women. A big part of this was because Prosecutor Fred Hughey said that she was just too close. It was too much trauma. And it was traumatizing for the kids, too. Yeah, I'm sure it was. The prison that Diane was at was only 66 miles away from his home during that. And so during the escape, he feared that. And the kids did, too. And they said with everything they've already had to deal with and everything, that's just not fair. In 1994, after serving 10 years, Diane was transferred to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation because they thought maybe she could be rehabilitized. Rehabilitized? Rehabilitated. Don't think so. But that uh, that guy, the lawyer, not the lawyer, the judge, the judge was like, dude, I said she's not getting out. Stop trying. Yeah. Well, while in prison, she earned an associate's degree in general studies. Then her first parole hearing was on December 9th, 2008. And her first application for parole, she reaffirmed her innocence and said that she didn't do anything wrong. Diane said that over the years, I've told you and the rest of the world, a man shot me and my children. I've never changed my story. Uh, And that's another thing is people were like, she can't be released. She doesn't show remorse. Right. That's not a thing. She's not rehabilitated. At this point, Diane would have been eligible for a parole hearing every two years um, until she's released or if she dies in prison. She doesn't have to have a parole, clearly. Right. Um, But like that's the way like the rule works at at the point where she's at. Mm -hmm. So she was getting ready to have her second parole hearing on December 10th, 2010, but she was denied. Later in 2010, she was relocated at the Valley State Prison for Women in Chowchilla, California. But was transferred because the facility ended up being converted to an all-male institution in 2013. So she moves around a lot, but like most of it's not her fault because, you know, she doesn't do anything wrong. I was kidding. I'm sorry. I hoped you got the joke. I didn't sound super sarcastic, but I was trying to. No, I got it. Her next parole hearing was scheduled for 2010. Um, she went through that one but then the next one would have been 2020 and that one was denied as far as christy goes. so she's still in prison by the way um so she could get sentenced she could get paroles every two years though from now until you know
0: whenever it's just like a slap in the face
1: it really fucking is especially for christy and becky who are still alive and danny and would have to know their mom is out in the world and yeah she's too old to have kids but If you want a kid, you'll get a kid. You'll find a kid. If you want to get a kid and kill a kid, that's you're going to do that, too. Right. As far as Christy goes. And I mean, I'm sorry, I have to go back to that one more time. If she really wanted to, she could marry someone with kids, kill their kids. Like you hear stories of that, too. Or if she wanted to go and fucking stalk Nick Knickerbocker. If she wants to kill Steve, if she wants to kill Nick, if she wants to kill Charlene, like Mm -hmm. who knows how fucking insane this woman is. Kill Fred kill Fred and his wife and the children, you don't know what this woman can do Yeah, at this point. She's proved she has no morals. As far as Christy goes, Christy testified at tri- Diane's trial, like I said. Nowadays, she still suffers from a speech handicap because of the stroke and everything. Christy did have a son in 2005, though, and then a daughter after that. She named the daughter Cheryl Lynn in memory of her late sister. In Anne Rule's book, she wrote a book called Small Sacrifices, She and uh, Anne Rule's book has a lot of accounts from like people that personally knew Diane and saw everything and things like that. So that's why a lot of people use her book as a lot of the evidence and um, their their uh, sources and stuff. Well, Anne said that she had grown and that Chrissy had grown into a kind and caring mother. Diane Downs, however, continues to serve a life sentence. And her last parole hearing was actually in 2021 also. And it got denied. Take that, bitch. Bitch, you dumb bitch. You don't deserve love. You don't deserve children. You don't deserve <laughs> Steve. <laughs> yeah, fucking Steve. I hope Steve's remarried and happy. Yes. But I also kinda do feel bad because Steve doesn't get the kids either. No. Like, but I mean, Steve did let Christy go off with her. I wonder if Steve has rights, if Fred like updates him, anything wonder if Steve maybe. even cares maybe Steve doesn't want to deal with that part of his life maybe it traumatized him too yeah maybe you never know so I did use three books as the sources there's a lot of tv shows but I just kind of um or not tv shows but like docu-series and stuff I just started watching a bunch of them but the thing is is I did docu-series for this one after I'd already done the book so I wasn't learning a lot so I was skipping through them too much so I just didn't put them but there's like some 2020s there's some killer moms episodes different random stuff Mostly I used three audiobooks. I did Killer Mom, The True Story of Diane Downs by Barbara Daly. Small Sacrifices by Anne Rule, which is the, the like go-to book that everyone and their mom uses for this. And then the book Killer Diane Downs, The True Crime Story of a Killer Mom by Anto- Antoine Barzy. So that is that. It feels so long because we just did two very intense cases back to back. It was pretty long i meant also just like um two back to back like recordings not back to back but yes you're right Kylie too. Sorry I'm having so many thoughts and I'm trying to get them all out at once but they're very
0: jambered up in there. I didn't realize how tired I would be until it was done. Yeah. yeah. Like, and it also wow. emotionally
1: tires you yes. in these
0: cases so it's like whew.
1: So, um one good thing Kylie and I have to say is guess what guys? The next episode is great
0: it is it is it and is great.
1: it's not it's it's not near as heavy so actually i think the next few might not be near as heavy i think we got like one or two maybe three in a row of less heavies i might be lying though so i'm gonna be like yeah they're not heavy so we're doing columbine you guys are <laughs> like what the fuck they right i i think i don't remember the schedule so just bear with me here i'm um, pretty sure
0: the next two Because at least no, the next three, I think, I think there's aliens involved. Oh, right. So wait, I think it goes aliens
1: and then the episode and then I think a cryptid. I think that's the. Yeah. You guys are like, what the fuck's the episode? It's the episode. What do you mean? You don't know what the episode is. You just got to follow the Instagram to find out. So thank you guys to everyone that listens and makes this podcast what it is. We can never do this alone. And we're really grateful you're here along for the ride with us. Damon Vukovsky created our theme song. Also, guys, if you didn't know this, Kylie and I created our trailer. It
0: yeah. was
1: very difficult. We decided we were going to try and take on a new task, learning to edit. We will never do that again. We are so sorry, Corey. You're stuck with us for life. You're th- saying
0: a lot of we, but really you did it. I so did, did So
1: <laughs> take the fucking credit. Um, I made our trailer, guys. So if you hate it, it's my fault. If it sounds like Stranger Things, that's also my fault on accident. We also
0: listened to so many songs. Yes, we really, really
1: did. Um, But uh, we updated our trailer because we thought, why not? We updated our Instagram because we thought, why not? We updated our website because we thought, why not? And when I say we, I did
0: all three of those, so... (laughs) Yay <laughs> Out of random. I had no idea you did it. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I was like, Kylie, after our website shows, we have a website. <laughs> no, it's really weird though, because you said it like two days after I checked it.
1: And oh, I was really? like, that would have
0: happened. That would have had to happen. Because yeah, I had within that time frame and I was like, oh yeah, because it's not working. I had the website and I had it purposely turned down for service so that if
1: people went to it, it was like, no, not up. Because I was working on it and you can do that on the site. And Kylie went during that one time and I was like, this bitch. (sighs) Yeah. So thank you to everyone. Also, our original artwork is with Taylor by Lab Monkey Creative on Instagram. We did, however, get a beautiful commission done recently and we are going to post it in the upcoming weeks. And we will talk all about who did that and we will thank them and give them all the buku credit. That's very much in French. And um, we're going to we're going to give some shout out to some amazing other artists that are also in our area because Taylor's phenomenal and we found some other phenomenal ones, too. We are so lucky to be surrounded by talented friends. Our editing is done by Corey with core.media.photography on Instagram. Thank you so much, Corey, for being our editor. Seriously. I will never, (laughs) ever in my life take you for granted. With an editing. (laughs) I'll stick to
0: that. He, he is house dad. So, uh-huh. you know, sometimes, sometimes you just have to take advantage a little bit. Just a <laughs> Don't forget, because there's lots of fun things coming around the corner to follow our Instagram, which is at pod, where our DMs are always open for suggestions. So slide on in. Apple Podcasts, reviews, ratings, Spotify ratings, good
1: pod ratings, just telling us you love us, telling us you hate us, telling us what we're doing right, telling us what we're doing wrong, just sending us a DM, hanging out with us, talking to us. We like it all sounded a little creepy towards the end Didn't bit, mean to a little bit. <laughs> um, it just means a lot to us. It means that not only are you guys listening, but you care enough and you guys are giving us feedback, which helps us improve anything you guys tell us to improve. We try to, you guys told us to say our names. We started doing it. You guys told us to, you told me specifically <sighs> a, f- a few things you wanted me to change and I have changed all of them. So, you know, tell us things. We'll work on them. I, promise we'll do our damnedest thank you so much and remember to subscribe follow tune in keep up with us and remember to join the conversation where we're gonna see you for the next episode stay tuned